It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Hey, do you have a tax shelter strategy? And beyond that, for money outside of retirement accounts, are you investing tax efficiently in those accounts? We have that topic from a fan of the show as well as other listener questions on today's episode. That's right. That's right. If you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. It's tax time. You're probably thinking about tax efficient strategies and what are your tax planning, creative tax planning ideas that you need to implement. You should be working with your CFP. Your CFP should be doing comprehensive financial planning and tax planning is part of that. If you have a question or we can help, call or text us 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. That's where you can find us. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search The Wise Money Show. Kevin, you call this a tax shelter strategy. You know, we were talking about Dr. Seussisms before we started the program. I'm just, I I don't like that phrase, tax shelter strategy. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's what people need. We need to come up with something better. Some it's got to it this doesn't round, roll off the tongue. Tax shelter strategy? Yeah, I don't know. I, okay. I, I helped name the stink bug and people have been complaining <laughs> about that name ever since. Well, listen. So don't ask me to name anything, Mike. <laughs> Whatever you call it, that's what you need. W- what is your strategy when it comes to saving up for retirement, making withdrawals from retirement, supplementing your social security, choosing on when to draw social security, all of that? your tax shelter strategy what what are the opportunities for you to pay the least amount of tax over your lifetime and then which of those strategies or opportunities do you go after based on them bringing synergy to your financial life if you don't do this or if you well i figured a long time ago i should do roth so that's just what i'm sticking with then likely it's you've got unnecessary dollars slipping through your fingers and out of your net worth and your pocket and going to uncle sam it's like it's like having the heat on, but the door's open, the window's open, you know, some, something like that. So you wouldn't do it, and you yell at your kids when they do, when they when they do it. Or uh, so so you do need that tax shelter strategy. So we're kicking off today's show with a question from a fan of the show, and left this on uh, on a recent video, splendid video. That's what he said. Since I'm waiting three more years until seventy for Social Security, and my wife will be getting spousal benefits the same year. She's three years younger than me. By 72, all of my 401k will be converted to Roth, which we can come back to that, see if that's something uh, that would we would recommend. So no RMDs for me. I'm projected that once we turn on Social Security, we'll, have, uh, we'll, we'll be able to save up about 30 grand a year because of excess income that we'll have. I don't want to cause tax on my Social Security. How should one invest this money in case or basically tax efficiently. So taking all the pre-tax money that he's going to use to supplement his social security and moving that to Roth. Therefore, as you draw that money out, mm-hmm. your calculation, your formula is to, well, all of my other income sources plus half of my social security yields, well, none of my social security is going to be taxable. And maybe he's got some other pension income and whatnot because he's saying, I'm going to have 30 grand a year excess beyond what we need to spend what should I do with that money? How do I invest it? Uh-huh. And I don't want that investment to create a whole bunch of taxation and cause my Social Security to be taxable. So, 
Hey, can we start by celebrating the fact that he's delaying Social Security, though? Yeah. Because, oh, I, yeah. man, there's, there's probably not enough people doing that. And I, I bet it makes financial sense for a whole lot more folks than are actually trying it or preparing for it, that, that kind of thing. So if there's a gap where your paycheck stops and you're going to delay Social Security all the way to age 70, and in this case, it's three years, um, man, that, that takes a lot of discipline to not turn on the faucet and start drawing Social Security right out of the gate because, you know, so many people are fearful of, of uh, the system being... Uh, broke and and that it's not going to be there for them. And they tell themselves a lot of stories, but um, to delay really can put your put yourself in a position where you're maximizing your social security benefits. And it takes a strong vision to be able to pull that off. And, and I would argue strong financial planning, right? Mm-hmm. Proactive yeah. financial planning, because because especially to then do. I thought you were going to say all of the financial planning strategies represented by this question. Mm-hmm. Doing Roth conversions as well, doing RMD planning, awareness of how Social Security is taxed. I mean, these are all fantastic, fantastic things. Yeah, I'm going to say he's uh, likely working with a financial planner. Yeah. Either that or he's spent a ton, ton, a ton of time understanding how these things work together. The first thing that I, w- I would um, say is good job. And the second thing that I would say is, Maybe, maybe you don't want to convert a hundred percent of 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 your IRA money because the they've moved the I, the required minimum distribution age back to seventy five. I think it could seventy three for this individual. It will be seventy five out there in the future. Yep. Yeah, that's what I said. So <laughs> I'm telling you, you can't, you can't. Okay. So 73. Let's just go with 73. But at age 70, he can start doing one of our favorite things, which is called a qualified charitable distribution, which is moving money straight from his retirement plan to the charity of his choice. And so you say, all right, if you're at all charitably inclined, you might want to have a little uh, kitty of never been taxed money to disperse to your favorite charities over your lifetime. Yeah, because otherwise, if you've converted all of your IRA money into Roth and then you give the charity, uh, you you went ahead and paid the tax that was never going to be there to begin with if you were using that qualified charitable distribution. Right. So going too far can actually be a mistake. No one's going to look at you and say having all your money in a Roth IRA is a bad thing. Oh, of course right? not. Yep. Uh, man, what a, what a fantastic spot to be in where you have no IOU to the government on any of that money. Uh, we we would applaud it, but it might not be optimal. It, it may not right. be the the very best thing for you, if at all. There's any intention to be charitable with this money throughout retirement. Then being charitable with money that the government was going to tax and now doesn't have to, that's an even more fun strategy to be using. Yes. Yeah, but what about and just just to to be precise, seventy and a half uh, for chair qualified charitable distributions. And your question here points to well, you've got your four hundred one k that you're converting to Roth. Can't actually can't do QCDs from a four hundred one k. It's got to be from an IRA. Um, but the other thing, you guys are talking about charitably inclined. You also have a standard deduction. Right. So there's 30 grand a year of income approximately that you can have without having to pay any federal tax on it. And yeah, depending on where you live, there might be some state tax as well. But but again, you're sort of by by converting everything, you're paying some tax that maybe you otherwise wouldn't because of that coupon. So here's the thing, though. Let's let's get down to the actual question, because there's some creative ideas here. 
regardless of converting all of your dollars to Roth or not, if you're if you've delayed Social Security and managed your budget and have some other financial resources where you actually have a surplus in retirement. That's fantastic. And some of you might be looking saying, yeah, I wish. Well, understand that your your spending goes through phases in retirement. So even if you don't have a surplus today, you might in the future. But what can you do with that surplus? How can you invest it such that it's not going to create more taxable income for you and potentially cause your Social Security to be taxed? Should we start with basic or start with complex? Well, I, I think... This this is this is the perfect financial planning question because you're right. There's a certain amount of income that you can have and pay no tax. So this is where you, if your social security um, isn't going to get you up to where you're in some sort of taxable situation, then you might you might be okay having something that generates. Extra income. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit. And, and we'll assume, though, for the moment, that all of these decisions are being made in the context of a financial plan and specifically a tax projection, yep. right? That you know what that threshold is and and any additional income that you start generating is going to push you higher to where maybe some of your Social Security does start getting taxed. But, but we don't really presume that, though. Um, because a lot of people do, they, they misunderstand how Social Security is taxed, how the calculation is done, and don't realize that, man, actually, you can have a bunch of income potentially and still pay no tax. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what are the investment strategies? There's some creative ones. I'm going to throw one out right now. If you are in this stage of life, you might think, well, I need to invest conservatively. Well, hang on a second. If you don't need, if you've got surplus income and don't need to draw out of this money, then it technically could be invested aggressively. And if you invest it aggressively, capital gains are deferred until you sell the investment. So that would be the first place to start. And we'll talk through which types of vehicles to use. But then, guys, that's like the plain vanilla. There's a lot of creative strategies. We're going to hit that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Gorhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. How do you invest tax efficiently? What what are the most tax efficient investment strategies? Answering a question from fan of the show right now. We've got that and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media. Wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Answering a question from a fan of the show in a very unique situation that I believe has broad application. Not everyone's going to find themselves in this exact situation, but everyone should be asking themselves, what's the most efficient way, tax efficient ways to invest? What are, what's my tax shelter strategy? So this individual in retirement is going to have a surplus of income and is not paying any tax on their Social Security. So how can I invest that surplus of income? And, and do so in a manner that's not going to be really taxable, not going to cause my Social Security to be taxed. Well, you might be thinking, well, uh, throw it in a Roth IRA, throw it in an IRA, throw it in a 401k. You can't when you're retired. If you're not working, then, then you can't. I mean, so I guess there's one idea. Well, work part-time, and then and then you can save into a Roth, but then that working part-time creates income, right? That's right. And so, so funding those traditional tax shelters that are likely part of your tax shelter strategy, really not possible if you're not working. So mentioned that 
if you don't need this money in the short term or intermediate term, and you've got enough income coming in, then that's really long-term money. You can invest it aggressively. Doing so would mean investing it in the stock market where there's very little dividend. You could invest it in, a, in, in funds that actually don't have dividends or maybe 1% or something like that, dividend yield. So that can be very tax efficient that way. And then if you don't plan to sell the, the, the account, or the, excuse me, sell the account, sell the investment, then all that capital gain would be tax deferred until you actually do sell it. So buying into the S&P 500 index or buying into the international index or, or a broadly diversified uh, index type strategy, if you do active, then you're going to generate a lot more capital gain. So it would need to be more passive and probably consider an exchange-traded fund instead of a, a, a mutual fund because no capital gain distributions or, or should be fewer. Yeah, I feel like we need to back up, though, and level the playing field here a little I bit. I wanted to keep going deeper. Deeper you, and That deeper. was very polite of you. You didn't even give me a dirty look while I went uh, really deep. The So so here's the issue. A, a lot of people don't realize that uh, there are two different types of tax that you could pay, depending on what kind of inv investments you own, what kind of income you're receiving. Most of your income is going to be ordinary income. This is paycheck money. It's interest you earn on bank accounts. It could be rental income that's generated. And these are the typical tax brackets that, that apply to most Americans. You know, they start out at the 10% level and then you jump into the 12% and then 22 and 24, and it keeps on going up from there, depending on how much income you have to move higher and higher into those, those subsequent brackets. But there's also another type of tax called a capital gains rate. And this one's even more favorable. And uh, it, actually, if you stay in the lower two tax brackets for that first batch I was referring to, then you could, you could pay 0% capital gains. Mm -hmm. Now, what's a capital gain? Mike was describing you buying an investment and holding it for a long period of time, and it runs up in value. And when you sell someday, uh, you, you have a profit there or a gain, and you pay tax on just the gain. But if you don't sell... You may not have a gain. You know, if you own that Microsoft stock for a long, long time, it's running up in value, but it's all on paper until the day that you sell. When you sell, that's when you incur this capital gain. Now, what about additional income that could be incurred in the meantime? You know, a lot of, if, if you own stock in a lot of companies, they're kicking off profits to you on an annual basis, maybe quarterly, maybe semi-annually. And that, that income to you is uh, it's taxed as well, and it's considered a, a dividend is the term that you'd use. And it may even apply to these capital gains rates for you and, and be taxed at 0% potentially. But even if those are taxed at 0%, they would factor into the calculation for Social Security as to whether that is taxable. That's, so. that's right. But that income, those capital gains and everything, they get stacked on top of the pile of income. Mm -hmm. And so if you're jumping into higher and higher tax brackets and things, it, it may be that your latest income is this more favorable income. And even though your income's climbing, your tax bill may not be. So there again, I mean, doing tax planning and doing that tax projection, Josh, that you talked about earlier, that's the key to this. If, yeah. And if you want complete tax control, there are two ways of getting it. There's more than two ways, but these, these are the two simplest ways. And a lot of times when you talk about these d 
different types of strategies people think oh so that's what you oh so you're one of those and i would say no let's just talk about some tools because tax deferral can be very powerful so you can use uh an annuity if you use an annuity that in by its very nature is tax deferred so you could put thirty thousand dollars a year into this annuity it grows tax deferred what's the problem with that the potential problem is is that the gains on that annuity when it comes time someone's going to pay tax on those so you're going to pay tax on those uh, on that appreciation in your lifetime or your beneficiaries are going to pay tax on that when you die and that will be taxed at the less favorable josh was talking about more favorable and less favorable yep. that will be taxed as ordinary income so there's no way to get yourself free of the eventual tax bill on that yep. so that would be an annuity whether it's a fixed annuity variable annuity, there's all kinds there's there's really some pretty uh not great annuity products out there but there are some decent ones out there to consider another thing um is life insurance yep. cash value life insurance and if if you said hey i've got 30 grand a year and the only way to do it is really talk in extreme so take your 30 grand a year put it into your life insurance policy okay what would that do for me well you can you, you can work with a certified financial planner and say what does it look like what's the internal rate of return um if i were to put x amount in and i would i would look at that now because you're healthy now and you I'm assuming, and you probably could get something. You might not be able to get something in five years. So I would be planning to say, okay, if I took either three thousand or thirty thousand a year, put it in this policy, what would my heirs end up with, yeah. or what would the charity that I really care about end up with? And so, that, but but would that be taxable? That death benefit? That well, that's the beautiful thing, right? The, the there's no tax bill. As you go, and once you die, whoever uh, in, receives that, whoever's the beneficiary of that policy, gets it income tax free. There's a, a, a there's an IRA strategist, sort of the guru out there, and he loves that strategy. Again, there's a lot of people who have made a very bad reputation by just hey hey you know that's that's the hammer and everyone's a nail. No, but that has turned people away from a really great strategy simply mm -hmm. because, well, it's, it's gotten a bad rap. No, no, that strategy, you can turn your IRA, your taxable IRA, into a tax-free fortune. More people should consider it than actually do. Mm -hmm. Hey, can we go back to this scenario for a second? Because if, uh, if the plan right now that our listener is referring to, that they're trying to get as much money as possible into the Roth IRA, wouldn't you say that typically you you would think of those Roth dollars as being your most long-term investments as as kind of a rule of thumb? Yep. The longer that you let it stay in the Roth IRA, the better. If there was any money left over at the end of your retirement that are that's going to go to your beneficiaries, family, friends, whatever, um, having it uh, be, be transferred with a Roth IRA is amazing because not only are you not going to pay any more tax on any of the growth or anything, but they won't either, right? So that's one of the reasons why, again, the, the longer that money can simmer in the Roth IRA, the better. If that's the case, um, then having longer-term investments there probably makes sense, more growth-oriented quite often. 
but the sh- the the money that's outside of this retirement account shouldn't it be a little bit more short term? Mm-hmm. Is it probably going to be more conservative because it's more likely to be the money that actually gets spent at some point during retirement? And if if that's the case, you're you don't want to lose sight of the risk level of the investments you're selecting just because you're paying attention to the taxes. And if you do that, yes, there you know hopefully your money market where those dollars are kept or it's a CD is paying a decent interest rate, four or five percent right now. And yeah, that interest rate it, that interest is not tax deferred. It's going to land on your tax return, but on just a little bit of money, like we're talking about, it shouldn't be enough to move the needle on your tax return. A couple other ideas, and then we've got more questions from fans of the show. That and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's the value of your certified financial planner? And what's and how does how do they help? How should they help with your tax shelter strategy? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe to it or follow us there. Rate the program there as well. We appreciate it. Answering a question from fan of the show, right? Right about to get into another one, but just just a few more things to say here, and it's about uh, how to invest in a tax-sensitive and tax-efficient way to avoid the calculation where more of your Social Security or any of your Social Security becomes taxable. And here's the thing. Why should you have a certified financial planner that's doing comprehensive financial planning? They should be bringing clarity and confidence to your financial life, but also creative strategies, right? That creativity. Now, it's got to be, it's got to fit. Right. It can't just be creativity for like wild and off the wall and will not make any sense. Right. 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 So it's got to fit. And then Kevin has said uh, he's the king of uh, one upsmanship. If you've got uh, confidence, clarity and creativity, that should bring calm to your financial life. Peace. Absolutely. So not complexity. Right. So so here's the deal. This is this is a fantastic question. There are some creative things to consider. Life insurance is one of them, or maybe some some exchange-traded fund uh, in investments for capital gain that don't pay dividends. What about giving? What about, I mean, if you can't fund a Roth, can your kids? Yeah. And and it, like so if, if you're saying all of your 401k has been converted to the Roth IRA and you've still got 30 grand of excess income, you're not going to spend all this money in your lifetime. Right. You're, you're you're not, and so could you start gifting right now? And this year, it's eighteen grand a year that you can give to someone else. I have no idea if you have kids or not, but c- could you be gifting this money to them, and that allows them to max out their Roth IRAs? That allows them to max out their four hundred one k, and they're spending through some of this money. Could you? Should you throw some of this money into a five twenty nine plan for, uh, for grandkids? You took mm-hmm. right. Yep. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was that was mine. Is is the if you said the other thing because I was talking about some tax deferred strategies that you could fund, um, and we said well you could use an annuity, you could use a life insurance policy, you could use a five twenty nine. Now. You might say, well, wait a minute, that's a limited purpose vehicle, so I don't know that I necessarily want to do that. But um, they have made the 529 plan 
much more versatile. Mm-hmm. And one of the benefits of, of funding a 529 plan is not only do you not pay taxes as you go, that money is outside of your estate, right. but you still control it. Mm-hmm. So so you could look and you say, well, I've got, I have, pretend you had three children and all of you lived in Indiana. You could put 7500 in your 529 and you could gift each of your children 7500 and they could fund a 529 for their family. Mm-hmm. Everyone's maxing out the the benefit, there's your 30 grand. I I love the vision that you're casting though of thinking multi-generational because shouldn't a a tax shelter strategy look beyond just your own lifetime? Absolutely. Because well, it, there are other tax shelters you could be benefiting from. Uh, in the family, potentially, if you think multi-generational. And that it's one of the reasons that some families are able to build wealth that lasts beyond just their lifetime. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And again, we applaud the, our, the the financial planning. Oh, Kevin, you got more? I have one more. Come on. We've already spent too much time I on know, this. I know. I know. So the best, <laughs> one of the best investments, we don't know if you have children or not, but if you do, I would ask the question right now. Let's take um, our net worth. And pretend I've got two children. If each of my children had half of my net worth today, could they handle it? Prodigal son, were you getting biblical on us? No, right no, no, okay. no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We. I mean, we have tried and, and tried. We've never been able to help anyone take it with them. And so, <laughs> um, so when you're done on this earth, it's all going to be left behind. So who's it going to be left behind to? And if the people that you are leaving the money behind two don't have the um the character or the skill right now to handle that because just to make it easy your, your net worth's five million bucks and you say okay each of my kids gets 2.5 million if each of your children got 2.5 million today are they each capable of handling that or would they need some help because if they needed some help one of your best investments, and I think the best investment ever, after investing in yourself, is investing in a relationship with a CFP. And you can make that investment for your children to help them get the skill and the yeah. character that they're going to need to manage that money. I love that. I love that. I, yeah. When can two and a half million be either a blessing or a curse? Mm-hmm. And an investment in their knowledge and their skill and their readiness. Um, helps make sure it is a blessing in their life if they eventually do inherit some of this money from you. I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's good, so, Kevin. once again, kudos for the the proactive approach that you're taking in your finances and fantastic question. Again, I think narrow, narrow application or excuse me, narrow question, circumstance, but broad application, you need to have a tax shelter strategy and be thinking multi-generational in your tax planning. All right, next question here comes from the YouTube channel. Currently, my company matches 6%. Is it better to ride through rough times and continue to get that match or transfer the money into something else? What a, what a great question. And, and what a blessing, too, because a 6% match is, it feels like that's on the high side. Kevin, you probably have statistics on what's the average company match out there on a retirement plan, but 6% sounds generous uh, to me. Absolutely. And to to have essentially your employer joining with you in your own retirement goal, man, you you want to be taking advantage of that every single year. Never let a year go by where you're not getting the full match from your employer, which means you have to do your part. You have to be contributing out of your own paycheck into that same account. 
And uh, I, I would encourage you during the good times and the bad, when things get tight at home with the family budget and when they're loose and free, make sure that that is some of the first money that's uh, already devoted or already spoken for out of every single paycheck. Don't let the 6% go unused, in other words. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And plus, you know, during rough times or rough patches, I'm not sure exactly what month or what time period that that question came in, but we've certainly had, um, you know, some, some choppiness. Those are actually the times when your contribution of a flat dollar amount, whatever 6% is of your paycheck or, or 10% or whatever, is able to buy more shares because their price is lower. So you're buying more shares at lower prices and still getting a company match. It's it, If you step away from the emotions, you'd say that's almost too good to be true. That's right. And the, the fact that you put it in place and let it go through the ups and the downs makes this almost like forgotten money. And you need to have some forgotten, almost invisible money in your life where it's just, yeah, I know I earned it, but I never actually took possession of it. It is going into uh, a, a treasury for the future, right? This is for the 70-year-old me to spend, not the 40-year-old me to spend. And so you, you need to have that in your life and don't interrupt it. Don't disrupt it along the way. Let the thing grow. I actually was, we were um, volunteering a couple weekends ago and uh, for middle schoolers and we were in a, in a cabin and a friend of mine who's lost a lot of weight and whatnot um, brought his, his grubby jeans to, because, you know, up at a camp. And he, I'm not kidding, put them on, put his hand in his pocket, 20 bucks in there. <laughs> and and I, I feel like I have accounted for every $20 bill in my possession. <laughs> this individual, like that's more, that's, that's a decent amount. And, and yeah, I mean, so just investing through good times and in bad sort of, sort of just blindly, just continuing to be disciplined in that way is, is like that scenario. You show up and all of a sudden, wow, there's more money in here than I expected. So, right. all right. Next question here comes from David. My financial planner says I have to be employed for a period of time during a year in order to be allowed to contribute to a Roth IRA. He said the maximum I can do is $7,200 a year. I assume I just need one pay stub and then I'll be allowed to do that. Uh, what about if I get an inheritance, can I put that into a Roth? Ooh, what a great question. Lots of, lots of complexion here. We're gonna have to get this into the next segment as well, but um, several uh, things that are uh, half truths in there that it sounds like you you heard from your advisor. So number one, and and it, it's either the way you phrased it or it's actually what you what you uh, were told. But a period of time during the year, no, it, it doesn't matter how long you're employed during the year. Doesn't doesn't it doesn't need to be one week. It doesn't need to be one paycheck. It doesn't need to be one month. It's not a special month out of the year or whatever. That if you if you're working in December or if you're working by the time the year is over then you can contribute to a Roth. It's that you have actual earned income, but a certain amount as well. We're going to pick that back up. This answer and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, and Josh Gregory, every episode of the Wise Money Show, as well as a lot of other contents on the Wise Money YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, and then turn on notifications so every time a new talk show airs or the other videos that air all throughout the work week, every time those drop, you're notified. You can leave 
questions. You can share. You can leave comments. Thumbs up, of course. So we appreciate that. Go to YouTube. Search The Wise Money Show. Follow us there. All right. We're, we're hitting questions from fans of the show. Uh, question, I'll just restate it here. It's a long one. But um, my financial planner says I need to be employed for a certain period of the year in order to contribute to a Roth IRA. Said the maximum is 7200 and I, is it just one pay stub and then I'm allowed to contribute that entire amount? Um, what if I inherit money? Can I put that into a Roth? So yeah, let's take that piece by piece. And uh, Or Josh, just the, the overarching, what allows someone to be eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA? Yeah, you, you have to have a either paycheck money or you could be self-employed and have profits from your side hustle, that kind of thing. But it's it's essentially earned income that is what qualifies you to be able to contribute. Now, there's caps on how much you're allowed to contribute. Um, in 2024, it's $7,000 unless you're over age 50. Um, then, then the number goes to 8,000. So there's an extra grand that you can contribute there. Um, but that's only if you've earned that much. Right. So if, if you worked a little bit during the year, you know, part-time job in retirement or something, and you earned three grand, well, for you, that three grand becomes your cap. So there, there's an IRS limit, and then there's your own personal limit. And it's really the lesser of the two, ultimately. 100% of what you earn up to seven grand or up to eight grand. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, it's the, it's the lesser of. If you're married, though, be aware of that. I mean, right? You could you could do a spousal Roth contribution, but again, that contribution limit is up to 100% of what your spouse earns, capped at 7,000 each or or so 14,000 or 16 if you're over age 50. Yeah, and so let's take that scenario and say that you're working a part-time job in retirement, you're earning enough to max out the Roth IRA for yourself and your spouse maybe. Um, and because you're retired, let's say your cap is $8,000 because you're over age 50. That's 16 grand between the two spouses that could be contributed as long as you had earned at least 16 grand. Now, you may have long spent that 16,000, but then all of a sudden you get some, some gifted money or some inherited money. Maybe you have some cash lying around in a bank account or a CD that comes due. You can use those dollars to cover the contribution for that $16,000 into the Roth IRA. It doesn't literally have to be the dollars that you earned. That's just what gives you the cap on how much you're allowed to contribute. So, but that's earned income. So an inheritance, having money received an inheritance that doesn't allow you to contribute. That's right. That's not considered earned. Capital gains don't, dividends don't, social security doesn't, Mm -hmm. my pension doesn't, it has to be earned income. I earned this income this year. That's right. Yeah. And if you make 16000 a day, just work one day, and then you and your wife can uh, contribute to your fully fund your IRAs. Great question, David. The last, and I didn't put it in here because I said, also wondering hypothetically, if I won the lottery, could I throw that in the, the Roth? I, it kind of goes with the explanation we already said, but just to be clear, Yes. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you cannot. The lottery is not earned income. That is not paycheck money. So that doesn't allow you to fund the Roth either. So, uh, all right. Next question here from come from from Joel. I'm 72. I'm still working. Hey, awesome. Most of my assets are IRA, but I got a small Roth. Should I do Roth conversions now or wait until I retire in one to two years? 
I, I would do it now, but it just depends how much you're earning, yes. right? You've got to do that multi-year tax projection. Yeah, the question is, this is this is the long game. Who's going to pay taxes on that money and at what rate? And it's, you know, it's not knowable. The only way that it's perfectly knowable is with the benefit of hindsight. Mm-hmm. And as we've said before, hindsight's 60-40. So you want to have some sort of an idea about all right, who 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 will likely be the taxpayer on these? Because if if it's you, then you would say, okay, I'm probably not going to pay taxes on these dollars until I don't have other income. But you want to look at what tax bracket you're currently in, and which what what do you project for the future? Yeah, one of the reasons why we really emphasize. Uh, doing a tax projection before you go do a Roth conversion is because sometimes there's unintended consequences, right? Um, what we don't know is how much are you earning in your paycheck? How much is your social security that you're drawing possibly? Um, you know, what, what are all your sources of income and how close are you getting to some key thresholds of income in each year? Remember, when you do a Roth conversion, the money that comes out of the IRA and goes back into the Roth IRA is counted as income for you as well. It gets stacked on top of all those other sources. And what if that's enough income? That that combination of all those different sources gets you up to a level where now you're paying tax on, or sorry, paying higher premiums rather, on um, some of your Medicare premiums if, if you were engaged there. I don't know if you're in a group plan or what. There's just more to the story that we don't know. But the point is, it, there's not like a one-size-fits-all answer on this. That's the, that's the whole purpose of financial planning is it takes the ideas, the theories, the strategies and says, well, which ones are going to work for you this year? And the ones that work this year may not work next year, depending on how your circumstances change. The opposite is true as well. It may not be a great idea this year, but what if two years from now there's a great window of opportunity for you to jump on? If you're not looking at that every single year with your certified financial planner, you may just go into autopilot mode and miss some opportunities along the way just because you're not checking frequently enough. Completely agree. You, that ongoing tax planning. I wouldn't. I, we We wouldn't say... That just because you're working shouldn't do Roth conversion, and you've got to wait until you retire. Um, and yet, at the same time, you've got to look at that, that the thresholds right now. How much are you earning? What's the formula for how much tax will you be uh, paying on your Social Security? And then projecting out with RMD and everything else, what tax bracket will you be in the future? And doing that planning. So, as geeky as it sounds, multi-year tax projection that'll give you the answer. And then you've got to look at that in the context of your of all six areas of your financial life. Next question here from Dennis. I turned 73 this year in October. Do I have to wait until my birthday to take my first RMD? Or can I take it right now here in February? Take it right now. Mm-hmm. It, and again, it depends on what you need, but you can take it right now. I was just dealing with this with a client whose birthday is in July. And um, actually... Uh, one of the professionals on our team said, okay, well, he has to wait till July to take his required minimum distribution, and that's that's not the case. Ta- mm-hmm. You have to take it in the year. And technically, if this is your first year, you don't have to take it this year. You could wait until April 1st or, or yeah, up until April 1st of the following year. But right. the trick with that is you then have to take D- two of them. You double up. Year. 
But that might make sense to double up. I've seen it where it makes sense to double up because I've, I'm working all of this year and I'm retiring at the end of this year. So then next year, doubling up doesn't hurt me. Yeah. Hey, one thing to keep in mind here, when, when you reach required minimum distribution age, you're kind of coming into a new phase of life here where it's going to be a rhythm and a routine. There's a new cadence to life. There's new requirements by definition here. And I, I think to the extent that you can uh, take a systematic approach, it helps make sure that you're not missing this either, right? Uh, required minimum dis- distributions really are required. You really do have to take them. And sometimes people can just forget about them, you know, especially if you don't even really need the income uh, for your lifestyle and everything. It's just a, a requirement to stay in compliance with IRS rules and, and so on. So, you know, we have a lot of clients where January every year they take the required minimum distribution. They just want to get it done and handled, check that box and not worry about it. Think about it the rest of of the year. For you, maybe maybe October being your birthday, that's just on your birthday, you're going to deal with RMDs. You're going to take your distribution that year. Whatever it is, like get into a rhythm and not have it be all over the place sporadic. It's just harder to keep track of potentially. Um, in our office, we help our clients keep track of that though. So having a partner with you as a second set of eyes, I think is a wise thing as well. The other reason to consider starting that and planning for it right now, as opposed to waiting is if you're donating to charity to the church, something like that, you can do qualified charitable distributions that actually count towards your RMD if you're doing that out of your IRA. So great, great question. Great questions. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. And then I read it out loud and you cannot make your tongue move in all those various directions at once. <laughs> and so you do sound like you're reading a, you know, Dr. Seuss book. I can't wait to write the next one. <laughs> you totally should make it rhyme. <laughs> I don't know if I'll have the time. <laughs> Good Dude. one. <laughs> uh, time rhymes with rhyme. Did you catch that? That was a Mike Bar- Mike Bernard original. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I, 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 I'm not acknowledging it because it seems like a crime. Uh, but I do think. Wow. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.